This is Tom Lee. I'm the Editor-in-Chief for NAGM Catalyst, and we're talking today with Bruce Meyer, who is the Executive Vice President uh, at uh, Jefferson Health, and he'll tell us a little bit about uh, Jefferson and his role there. Uh, he is the clinical leader from uh, everything I've read and come to understand, and he and his team have done a great job leading uh, Jefferson Health and Philadelphia Healthcare through the first wave of the COVID crisis. And we're going to talk today about some of the lessons learned, which I have heard him speak about very articulately, and that's why we arranged this podcast. Uh, so, Bruce, I proposed this discussion after hearing you describe Jefferson Health, how it needed to build trust in patients, and you knew you couldn't do that with building trust in your workforce. And I'd like to talk a little bit about both of those tasks today. But before we get into trust, can you tell our listeners just a little about Jefferson Health and your role so they have the essential background? Sure. So uh, I'm the president of Jefferson Health. Uh, Jefferson Health is um, the largest healthcare system in the greater Philadelphia area. We're uh, 14 hospitals, uh, about 60 ambulatory sites. We employ about 2,200 physicians, we, uh, as well as about 800 non-physician providers. Um, we have about another 5,000 physicians on staff at our various sites. And um, on an annual basis, we, uh, pre-COVID at least, saw about um, 120,000 admissions per year and did about uh, 250,000 surgical procedures with uh, something in the neighborhood of 5 uh, million ambulatory encounters a year. So pretty big health system um, spread over a wide geography in the greater Philadelphia area. And my, my take is you're an OBGYN by, from training and you basically do oversee the clinical enterprise. Correct. So I, I'm an OBGYN by training, a maternal fetal medicine by subspecialty training, um, proud father of seven children, so that, that's marketing in our home. and. Um, uh, and I have responsibility for the entirety of the health enterprise. So all those hospitals, uh, uh, all those employed providers, uh, all of our ambulatory and inpatient sites are all inside my purview. I've also got responsibilities around our um, provision of uh, uh, health educations writ large. So that's not just medical students, but we have a large nursing school, a large school of pharmacy, a large PA school, uh, school of health professions, all those folks that do their work, uh, their clinical work inside Jefferson Health uh, and ensuring that we have a high quality uh, training. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about the first wave of COVID-19 for Jefferson Health. I mean, my take is that April and May is probably the period we're talking about, and it was a really challenging period. Pretty challenging for us. We uh, were the largest provider of COVID care in the Philadelphia region. Uh, at our peak, we had about 800 patients a day in our hospitals, and um, we were caring for a few hundred patients uh, on an ambulatory basis as well. We took care of over 1,000 patients who were on oxygen at home through a virtual care uh, structure with pulse oximetry and oxygen at home kind of thing, uh, in addition to all the folks that were in the hospital. Uh, we've unfortunately lost uh, almost 700 souls at Jefferson during the COVID outbreak uh, so far. Uh, and our peak, uh, our peak times were really last week of April, first week of May. 
that was where we peaked. Um, we had a steady decline, I would say, until realistically middle of June, and we pretty had much had a plateau of cases since uh, roughly the, the, the last four or five weeks. So our average case volume on an inpatient basis right now runs between about 85 and 95 cases a day. So we've been able to move from, we had patients with COVID in pretty much every inpatient facility to um, we've really tried to cohort those patients uh, so that now we have only four facilities that have COVID patients in them at a time. Now, when you and I were on a panel before this podcast, uh, I was struck because you you made your initial comments about trust. And, and most le- leaders of systems, they're obsessing about PPE and ventilators and staffing and ICU beds and financial deficits. Uh, but you made really strong comments about the importance of trust. And can you expand on what you mean by that? It's a term we throw around, uh, but I do agree that it's something we have to think much more rigorously about these days. Uh, so from your point of view, why did you emphasize it? Why is it so important for patients? Well, I think we've been very fortunate in American medicine for decades to benefit from a presumed trusting relationship with patients. Patients who come to, to physicians in American medicine basically give you the benefit of trust uh, from the get-go. Um, I'm not sure that we always earn that trust, uh, but, but we should. Uh, and from my perspective, that relationship, if you were going to have an activated patient, a patient who's really engaged in their health care and trying to, to actually be a partner in terms of improving their outcome, um, you can't have that without a patient that has a high level of trust, not just with the individual provider, but with the healthcare system that that provider is in. And that foundation of trust really starts with the staff. If the staff don't believe that the organization is trying to, the right, to do the right thing by patients and the right thing by uh, the staff, then it's really difficult for that staff to impart that sense of trust and high reliability to patients and families. Uh, I'm a pretty firm believer um, that the experience of care has a pretty heavy impact on the outcome of care. That, that may be because I'm the son, grandson, great-grandson, brother and father of a psychiatrist, but, um, but, but I firmly believe that uh, that experience of care is critically important in terms of making sure that patients have the best outcome, whether that um, is related to their uh, sense of getting enough information and understanding the treatment plan and all those kinds of things. All of those things have a foundation of trust, and the trust has to start between the healthcare system and the providers and the staff uh, that are there encountering patients. Uh, and and I think that trust and that trusting experience starts long before to see a provider. Uh, it really starts with how do I how do I get consistent messaging? How do I have consistent access? How do I get um, a, a sense of the high reliability of the organization to meet my needs? And all of that emanates from my perspective out of the trusting relationship between patients and providers and between staff and, and the healthcare system. Well, you know, I can see how those things might get taken for granted and uh, during times when it's business as usual. 
But when everything is up in the air and you're shifting much more your volume to telemedicine or asking people to uh, use the emergency departments differently, when everything is in, everything is changing and everything feels a little dangerous, uh, you do need that constancy of patients and the workforce knowing that the organization is going to do everything it can to do the right thing. So how did you and your team work to build trust with both patients and with your own employees as the surge unfolded? Um, so I'll start with employees because I think that's um, a critically important issue for us. We have been very fortunate uh, to have experienced very little COVID among our employees. Less, uh, just about 1% of our workforce has gotten COVID. Um, and part of how we tried to establish trust was literally a daily communication with our staff about the availability of PPE and about maintaining high-quality PPE. Because one of the things we experienced was a lot of knockoff personal protective equipment that actually didn't provide the same protection, particularly with respect to masks. And we really basically said, we're going to spend whatever it takes, uh, and, it, and whatever the, regardless of our financial condition, we're going to ensure that our staff has the highest quality PPE and that they've got it in a reliable way and that they know that they have a supply waiting and that if they need to change their mask, they change their mask. And uh, if they need to get another gown, they get another gown. Uh, now, that means that you burn through that stuff sometimes pretty quickly. At our peak, we were, we were burning through about uh, 17,000 single-use disposable gowns a day. But uh, part of the establishment of trust is transparency and, um, and, it's, and, and ensuring that our staff understands what's available, what we're doing every day to ensure that they are safe, and communicating with them really effectively. I think then it, it, there's a similar pathway in terms of our community, which is while nobody knows exactly, even today, uh, who's an asymptomatic shedder of, uh, of uh, the coronavirus, um, during the peak of the, uh, at least here in Philadelphia, of uh, hospitalizations and infections, uh, people were frightened, uh, and the one place that they knew where there was COVID was in our hospitals. And so people were frightened of coming to the hospital and even frightened of coming to the doctor's office. So what we had to do was ensure consistent messaging, ensure transparent messaging, and really communicate uh, about all the safety protocols that we were putting into place and, and that we would assure them of and that they could rely upon wherever they encountered us uh, and hold ourselves accountable around that. So we put that on the web. We put it into our marketing structures. We, we um, uh, put it on the radio, uh, uh, on television, and we said, basically, if you, you know, hold us accountable, but this is what you will find. We will call you in your car when we are ready to see you, and you will not wait in a waiting room. You will come directly back to a room, and we will minimize your contact with other people. We will provide you with a mask if you don't have a mask, but we will work in an all-mask environment. And we actually went to an all-mask environment in all of our healthcare facilities uh, on March the, the 17th, uh, very early in the pandemic here in Philadelphia, because we felt like that was the safest thing to do for our staff and the safest thing to do for patients. Uh, and then we, we basically tried to inform our community that these are all the things that we are doing to ensure that you are safe and um, and that you can rely upon us and, and feel comfortable coming back to our offices, coming to our hospitals for procedures, 
Uh, and then we went to a, an environment where we tested all of our patients who were coming into the hospital relatively early. So back in the third week of uh, April, when we had testing capability ramped up, we basically tested every single patient who came to our hospital or came to our emergency room, uh, as well as created all these ambulatory environments where you could drive up or walk up and get a COVID test. So part of what we tried to communicate to our community was you can trust that we are making sure that we find everybody who has COVID and that we will take appropriate precautions and we will keep you safe. Uh, and, I, and I think that safety comes out of it, that transparency and that open communication with staff and with the community. Um, and, and it's part of what being a high reliability organization really is. Uh, you know, I was watching Jefferson Health throughout this, and I was very impressed. And I do think those core principles about communicating every day, being transparent about the situation, being uh, effective in marshalling the resources to protect that very critical value of safety that your workforce really cares about, that your patients really cared about, uh, and then showing both creativity in how you met needs and effectiveness, it was, a, it was a very good package. Now, it got you through the first wave, and none of us know how long this is going to go on for the country, but none of us think it's over now. And uh, I was looking at Pennsylvania data, and maybe it's trickling a little bit upward right now. Uh, now, you and I both have sons-in-law who started their internships uh, at the very end of June, quite possibly getting ready to be part of a second wave or uh, certainly uh, a mild surge. Um, how's it going? How does your son-in-law feel about his new role? So my son-in-law is in Miami, where um, it's certainly a hot spot. Whether it's an epicenter or a hot spot is, is hard to know. Um, he is encountering a lot of COVID, uh, and so much so to the point where he has multiple uh, fellow residents who are actually out on quarantine because of either exposure or a positive test. Uh, and, and so his workload has actually been worse than expected, uh, a little more, because uh, his co-workers are, are out. Um, one of the things that he and I had a lot of conversations about is PPE and uh, social distancing and hand washing and the criticality of that to protect him and to protect um, my, my daughter, his family. And, and so far, he's, uh, as best I can tell, been, been very uh, rigorous about that. But it is, I would say, more frightening, I think, for uh, new medical school grads, they're all eager and, and you know, this is the first opportunity to really do training uh, and, and really take care of patients in a very, very direct way. And that eagerness, uh, I, I want to make sure that it doesn't, that it's tempered by the caution of I need to make sure that I do things that protect my patients and my colleagues and my family. Uh, it's sort of a different time. Safety is having a, a tremendous moment here in that sense, you know, and I, I, I say to him and I say to our staff the same thing, you know, that safety for our staff and our patients and our families is really our number one priority, and, uh, and you got to think about that. But I think it's a, it, is, it is a very different time to have to think about uh, an infectious disease that you have to constantly be vigilant about all the time while you are then in the midst of your training and your daily care. 
because you haven't gotten the routines of the, the specialty that you are training in down yet, and you've got to add those things on top. So I think it's just complicated for folks right now. Uh, I have great admiration for people who are in training in a way in the sense that, you know, in the sense I'm pretty experienced at OBGYN and I'm pretty comfortable in labor and delivery. Uh, the interns in labor and delivery are not comfortable in labor and delivery. So our, our mutual discomfort about coronavirus adds to that. But I've got a layer of comfort and a layer of, of assurance that trainees don't have yet and that I, you know, that's what they're there for. And it's part of our job as, as faculty and mentors to help them adapt to new situations while we have to adapt uh, ourselves to new situations like COVID. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. I mean, it is an amazing time, and uh, clearly you have skin in the game in so many different ways, including, uh, you know, the welfare of your own family members. Uh, I think Jefferson Health is doing a great job. It's showing a lot of creativity and resilience. Uh, we featured it a lot in NEGM uh, Catalyst and with a uh, contribution from Steve Clasco, from Judd Hollander, and I'm delighted now have you contributing and we're hoping, expecting that we'll be learning more and sharing more from you and Jefferson Health in the months and years to come. So thank you once again. Very much appreciate the kind world. It's really been a pleasure and look forward to more work together.